Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. We'll have only two parts, albeit very long parts, on today's episode. We'll start with a pretty thorough review of our big win on Sunday over Milan, And in part two, we'll check in on the race for the Scudetto and for the Champions League qualification spots. So let's start with the match against Milan. As I'm sure you're aware by now, Napoli won 1-0 on a goal from Matteo Politano. This was a solid team performance. I can't think of a single Napoli player that you could point your finger to and say he had a bad game. Aside from a few shaky moments, I thought we defended really well and limited Milan's chances. I was especially impressed with the play of our midfielders. That combination of Diego Deme, Fabian Ruiz, and Piotr Zielinski has been really clicking lately. We didn't necessarily create too many clear-cut chances in the attack, but our play was still very positive, and I thought the second half felt a lot like the second half of the Juve game, where we really buckled down, we defended as a team, and we got the job done. I think it goes without saying that this was a massive, massive win. Even with all of their injuries, even with very little rest, I knew Milan were going to be a tough opponent. They played their previous Serie A match with even fewer players against a very good Hellas Verona team, and still walked away with three points. Granted, that wasn't Verona's best performance, and they seemed to struggle playing on short rest themselves. But then, Milan walked into Old Trafford on Thursday, still with a depleted squad, and picked up a massive result. Even though they were behind for most of the second half and only equalized in stoppage time, I think it's safe to say that Milan were the better side on the whole in that match. They got a huge away goal, which puts them in a strong position to advance to the quarterfinals. 
though there is still plenty of work to be done. Milan did get a couple of players back for this match. Teo Hernandez returned from a stomach bug that kept him out for a few games. Hakan Chalanoglu and Matteo Gabbia both returned from injury as well. Meanwhile, we had a full week to prepare for this match. It was another week for Dries Mertens and Victor Osman to get closer to 100%. We'll cover all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match. But first, let's get to the starting lineups. Stefano Pioli lined up in his usual 4-2-3-1 with Gianluigi Donnarumma in goal. As I mentioned, Matteo Gabbia returned from injury to start at centre-back alongside Ficayo Tomori. Alessio Romagnoli is out injured and Simon Kier was rested ahead of that Europa League match on Thursday. Teo Hernandez returned to start at left-back and Diogo Delo played on the right side to spell Davide Calabria who picked up a knock. Sandro Tonali started alongside Frank Kessi in the double pivot. Hakan Cholonoglu returned to play in the number 10 so that pushed Rade Krunic out to the left wing and Samu Castillejo played on the right wing. Finally, Rafael Leao played at striker. Gennaro Gattuso had three changes compared to our predicted 11. The first was David Ospina who started in goal over Alex Meret. The second was Nikola Maksimovic who started over Kostas Manolas at center back. It seemed like Manolas was set to make a return but he did not travel with the team so I wonder if he had a minor setback with that ankle injury. Kaladu Koulibaly completed the center back pairing. Diego Demme and Fabian Ruiz started in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. We thought Chucky Lozano would feature in this match off the bench, but like Manolas, he too did not travel with the team. Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot and Dries Merten started again at striker. That was the third change as we had Victor Osimhen starting. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. If you listened to our bonus preview of this match, you know that I asked our guest Richard Carmen from the Serie sit-down to provide his three keys for Milan as well, so I'm going to quickly go through both sets. Richard's first key to the match was to start Tomori, because he felt that Tomori was the only Milan center back that could keep up with Victor Osimhen. Osimhen didn't start of course, but I thought Tomori still did an excellent job at the back. He's been a great signing for Milan, and I think when Osimhen came off the bench, Tomori did a solid job of marking him as well. Napoli were already ahead at that point, so I think this matchup would have been a bit more exciting had Osimhen started the match, or had Napoli been behind when Osimhen came off the bench. Richard's second key to the match was that Milan had to win the battle of the midfield, regardless of who played. I think it's safe to say that that did not happen. I saw a sharp contrast between how Milan were moving the ball against Manchester United, compared to how they moved the ball against us. In fact, it was our midfield who actually moved the ball around nicely. We had a few nervous moments playing out of the back early in the match, but we also did it really well a couple of times. I'll speak more about our midfield play when I get to our player assessments. Richard's third key to the match was that Milan needed to be clinical, and that did not happen either. Milan did not create many scoring chances at all, which is a credit to our defenders. They certainly did not create many clear-cut chances. Rafael Leao has really struggled to score lately, which is a big problem for Milan when their other regular strikers are hurt. He had a couple of chances in this match. He had a low hard shot in the first half, but it was straight at Ospina. Then he got behind Koulibaly in the second half, but he didn't connect fully on the shot, and Ospina made the save again. Milan's best chance came from a set piece when Ante Rebic flicked his header on target, but again Ospina made the save, so Milan failed to achieve all three of Richard's keys to the match. Next, let's take a look at my three keys for Napoli. 
The first was that we needed to score first. That was largely because we saw how well Milan defended in our first meeting after they took an early lead. Fortunately, we did score first. Obviously, that was the only goal of the match. Our second key to the match was that we had to take advantage of our fresh legs. I think it's safe to say that we achieved this as well. LCT Sai had an excellent match starting at left back and once again Victor Osman looked very good off the bench even though he didn't score. I'll get to both of them in just a moment. Finally, our third key to the match was that we needed to stay out of the official's book. Giovanni Di Lorenzo picked up a yellow card so he will miss the Roma match. Frankly, I think he was fortunate to not get a straight red on that play, so that was a small win in and of itself. Diego Demes should have been shown a yellow card for a late tackle on Teo Hernandez in the first half, but fortunately he got away with that one. Then again, Teo Hernandez probably should have had a straight red card for his tackle on Victor Osman in the second half, and that wasn't given either. But considering that we had 5 players on a suspension, I think we did a good job in this regard. One thing I should clarify, I said in our preview that Koulibaly was not on a suspension because his 2 yellows against Benevento wiped out his cards. That was not correct. Because he served the suspension for picking up those two yellows in that match, neither count towards his yellow card total, so he was on three yellows after that match. Then he picked up a fourth yellow against Bologna, which meant that he was and remains on a suspension. If I were him, I'd intentionally pick up a yellow card late in the Roma match so that he could miss the game against Crotone. So Milan failed to achieve their three keys to the match, we achieved all of ours, so a win seems to make sense. Since this was such a great team performance, I thought I'd do something a little bit different and comment briefly on each player's performance, starting at the back and working towards the front. David Ospina did what he had to do in goal. It's funny, we joke around about how he seems to go down with some sort of injury in every match, but when Leao stomped on his thigh, that must have been pretty painful. But he played through the pain and he made the saves he needed to make. The big one was that reaction save on Rebic, which he didn't just stop but he also pushed it away from danger. I mentioned the routine saves that he made on Leao as well. Ospina did have a couple of nervous moments when he came off his line, but all in all it was another solid performance and he got the clean sheet. LCT Sai was fantastic at left back. When he's on, he can be really good. We just need to see that on a more consistent basis from him. With Gulam hurt and Mario Rui struggling and not exactly in Gattuso's good books, I think Hisai will get the lion's share of the playing time at left back for the balance of the season. I thought the partnership between Hisai and Insignia worked really well. Of course, he was a big part of the goal, first making the interception and then continuing his run. He was fighting to win every ball and he can play on both sides of the field as we saw when Gattuso made his changes. There was also a play he made late in the match in the 85th minute that caught my attention. Rebic tried to go around him on the left side of the area towards the byline. During that play, I had flashbacks of the Sassuolo match where Manolas fouled Lucas Haraslin in the area and all I could see is Husai committing a foul and gifting Milan a penalty. Fortunately, he did not. He kept pace with Rebic and blocked the cross which went out for a corner kick. So all in all, this was a great performance from him and hopefully he can keep that up. 
Kalidou Koulibaly was an absolute beast at center back. He had so many important clearances in this match. As soon as Milan gave him a glimpse of the ball, he was there to clear it out. He covers a ton of ground so he can bail out both his left back and his fellow center back and he did that in this match. Maksimovic had a bit of a nervous start to the match and then we barely heard his name for the rest of the match and I think a lot of that was because Koulibaly decided he was just going to play both center back positions. He's great on the ball as well. He made some lovely switches to Di Lorenzo and he's always good for a long ball or two. He seems to be playing with confidence as well. He had that one play in the second half where he won the ball from Kessie, carried it to the corner flag, and it was like he knew that Kessie would slide for the block, so he just waited on the ball, let Kessie slide out of the way, and then cleared it out. Other than that one chance where he lost Leao a little bit, I think Koulibaly was near perfect yesterday. As I said, Maksimovic started over Manolas at center back and he seemed a little bit flustered early on. He lost the 50-50 ball to Leao which led to a shooting opportunity but fortunately Leao missed the target. Then he had a late tackle on Tonali to earn himself a yellow card but he did settle down after that. When you're paired with Koulibaly your job is basically to avoid making any costly mistakes because Koulibaly will take care of the rest and I think Maksimovic did that. He also had an important clearance late in the match when Dalo headed the ball back into the danger area with Brahim Diaz closing in for the shot. Moving on, I thought Giovanni Di Lorenzo was pretty good as well. He contributes on both ends of the pitch. He made three excellent passes in the first half alone. First he played a long ball over the top to Politano but Donnarumma was able to clear it out. Then he picked out Zielinski for a chance early on that was stopped. And finally he picked out Fabian's run into the area but Fabian cut back to his left foot when he probably should have taken the shot with his right. As I said I do think Di Lorenzo was fortunate to be shown only a yellow card instead of a red for his tackle on Teo Hernandez in the second half. He was late and his studs were up but he'll still miss our next match for yellow card accumulation. Moving to the midfield, I thought Diego Demet quietly had a very good game. The guy just does not stop running, he's very assured on the ball, he rarely misses a pass and he's one of the few players on this team that plays with the kind of grinta that you would expect from someone coached by Gattuso. Again, he was fortunate to get away with no card for his tackle on Teo Hernandez in the first half, which was huge because that would have caused him to miss the Roma match. Fabian Ruiz has been excellent since he returned from COVID. It was like he needed those few weeks to recharge his batteries and since then he's looked like the Fabian of a couple of seasons ago. I was surprised when I saw this but he's actually played the full 90 minutes in 7 straight matches now in all competitions. Fabian has improved a number of different aspects of his game. He's been a great distributor of the ball. In the build up to the Zielinski chance where he missed with his left foot, Fabian switched the play twice. First he switched to Di Lorenzo on the right side, then he got the ball back and he switched to Insigne on the left side and that led to the shooting chance. Fabian's also been moving well off of the ball, he's moving into space to show for the pass whether he's dropping deep or moving out wide to support his wingers and because of that we're finally starting to see some nice interchanges in the midfield. The last thing I've noticed about Fabian is he's shooting more. He's kind of like Politano in the sense that he's fairly one dimensional when it comes to shooting. Like Politano his sweet spot is the top of the box. We saw that with his volley in the second half. If Fabian keeps taking shots like that from that spot of the pitch I think we'll start to see his goal tally go up. Piotr Zielinski had another solid match as well. He's been a key part of our success lately. 
He made another great pass to assist on the goal. He's now got six goals and six assists on the season, which matches his best season in terms of goal contributions with 12 games still to play. The last time he had 12 goal contributions was in 2016-17 when he had five goals and seven assists. With that assist, he joined Sergei Milinkovic-Savage and Henrik Mkhitaryan as the only midfielders in Serie A with at least six goals and six assists. He's playing at a really high level right now, and you can see that he's playing with a lot of confidence. He's one of the few players on this team that you don't mind if he takes a few extra touches. He's so skilled that he can create space for himself by just making a few stepovers or dropping his shoulder. He's also taking better shots. He's not necessarily taking more shots, but better shots, which is something I also think we don't give Gattuso enough credit for. I think playing Zielinski in the 10 spot has really unlocked his potential. He used to take a lot of shots from distance and just put his head down and put his foot through the ball. Now he's taking shots from closer to the goal. He's developed great chemistry with Insignia where Zielinski will set up at the top of the box. So when Insignia cuts into his right foot, he can either take that curling shot to the back post or he can lay it off to Zielinski. The other thing Zielinski is doing is he's taking a bit of power off of his shot in order to improve the accuracy of them. And as a result, we're seeing his production increase. Speaking of Insignia, he was fantastic once again. Even when he's visibly tired or perhaps playing in pain, he just keeps on running. I thought he and Hisai played really well together on that left side. They had one minor mix-up early in the match, but after that they were really clicking. Gattuso has trained his wingers to get back and help defend, and they do it. There was one play in the second half where we broke on the counter and Zelinski had Insigne open on the wing, but he passed straight to the Milan defender. Instead of throwing his hands up and walking back like a lot of forwards would have done in that situation, he raced back as if he was the one that conceded possession and ended up intercepting Kessie's pass. Even though he didn't have his best day in terms of shooting, he does so many things well that you can live with the missed shots. And though he's had his moments this season, I think he's become a great leader. He leads by example with his play on the field, and he's always there for his teammates. When Teo took out Osimhen, Insigne was the first player to get in Teo's face, which I admit is always funny to see because he's a small guy, but that's what you want to see from your captain. His vice captain, Koulibaly, was not far behind to provide his support as well. Dries Mertens didn't have his best game up top. In fact, his last two games have been rather subpar. He couldn't seem to get into a rhythm. Other than a few weak shot attempts at goal, he didn't contribute a whole lot. Fortunately, we now have Osimhen on the bench, and I think the plan was always for Mertens to play 55 minutes or so and then bring Osimhen on. I'm curious to see if Gattuso will continue with that approach, or if at some point Osimhen will become the number one, and Mertens will become the option off the bench, but right now it seems to be working, so we'll just have to wait and see. Matteo Politano scored the only goal of the match, and he did it with his weaker foot, so he deserves a ton of credit for that goal. That should be a lesson for players like Fabian who only shoot with their strong foot, sometimes you just have to take the shot. Beyond the goal though, I wasn't blown away by Politano's performance if I'm being perfectly honest, but he's third in the team on goals, he works hard on the wing, I think he'll benefit from playing only once a week because he's carried the bulk of the workload with Lozano out. Hopefully we'll get Lozano back for the Roma game. I don't think he'll start, nor do I think he should. We should ease him back into the lineup, but we'll have to see. Politano limped off the field and he had ice on his inner thigh or his groin area, so we'll have to see if there's anything serious there. 
Finally, I've been really impressed with Victor Osman's play in the last few matches. Again, he does so much that it does not matter whether he scores or not. He gives you a different look than our other strikers do. He can win long balls in the air because of his height, though he does tend to get out-muscled. I'm sure he's going to work on that in the offseason. He has that pace that you can just play the ball into space and let him run onto it. Again, he doesn't have enough strength, but his hold-up play with the ball at his feet is actually pretty good. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but when the opponent is bringing wave after wave of attack, that pace and that hold-up play provides a huge relief to our back line. It takes the pressure off of them, they can recover some energy, and it allows them to get their shape back so they're better prepared for the next wave of attack. For some reason, Osiman wasn't getting any calls from Fabrizio Pasqua. I counted at least four calls that didn't go his way. In the 63rd minute, Tomori jumped on his back and no foul was given. In the 65th minute, his shot deflected off Tomori and went out, but a goal kick was given. In the 68th minute, he was clearly shoved off the ball by Matteo Gabbia, but no foul was given again. And in the 71st minute, there was another late tackle on him after he took the ball down on his chest and played it out to Politano on the wing, and yet again the foul was not given. The good thing is he did not let those non-calls get to him. Sometimes he lets the frustration get the best of him, which is understandable. He's only 22 years old, but I thought on Sunday he was very composed. And then at the end of the match, he was down in the trenches helping to defend, and he actually made a couple of plays back there. So goals or no goals, I've been really impressed with his play. I'll close this very long review with a quick comment on the penalty that was not given. Obviously I'm biased, but I thought the right decision was made there. Yes, there was contact, but people need to remember that not all contact is a foul. I can appreciate why Milanisti might have been upset about the non-call, because we've certainly seen soft penalties given all season, not just for Milan, but across the league, and if a penalty was given, I don't think the VAR would have reversed that decision. That said, I thought Teo was looking for the call there, he seemed to be going to ground before the contact was made, and I think perhaps his reputation came into play a bit there too. Teo's probably the best left back in the league, so I'm not taking anything away from that, but he also has a reputation for going to ground too easily and screaming and yelling to get calls. So that will do for part 1, in part 2 we'll check in on the top of the table. Can 
Next, let's check in on the rest of the league. Heading into this round, we were sitting in 6th place on 47 points. Inter were in 1st place, 6 points clear of Milan and 10 points clear of Juventus. Roma were in 3rd on 50 points, 1 point ahead of Atalanta. And Lazio were 4 points behind us. In case you haven't heard, on Friday, the sports judge Gerardo Mastandrea ruled that the Torino-Lazio game must be replayed, which is what we've expected given the precedent. I don't know why the league couldn't have just made that decision on their own, but that's not really a shock either. So Lazio do have a game in hand. There's no date for the rescheduled match, because now Lazio are appealing the decision of the sports judge, so this match may not be played until very late in the season. So let's start with Juventus, who got a very comfortable 3-1 win over Cagliari. Juventus and the Ronaldo project came under heavy criticism after Juve were knocked out of the Champions League by Porto, so Ronaldo was determined to prove the critics wrong. He scored a tripletta in the opening half hour of the match. The first was with a header from a corner kick, the second was from the penalty spot, and the third was a left-footed strike from the right side of the box that curled in toward the far post. But most of the talk after the match was not about the hat-trick, rather it was about a foul that Ronaldo committed in the 14th minute where he caught Alessio Cranio with a high boot to the face, drawing blood on his chin. Somehow, Ronaldo was only shown a yellow card and not a red card, and the public consensus seems to be that only Ronaldo, Serie A's prized possession, would get away with only a yellow card for that tackle. For some reason, a high boot to the chest or above only draws yellow cards when studs up tackles to the shin or to the ankle are automatic reds. Ronaldo clearly had no intent to injure. I don't think anyone is suggesting that, but frankly that does not matter. It was still a dangerous and reckless tackle. The tackle that always comes to mind for me is Sandro Tonali's tackle on Benevento's Artur Yonita earlier this season. Tonali clearly had no intent to injure there either. He was just late and was correctly shown a red, so I don't know why Ronaldo wasn't shown a red as well. Thankfully, the Juve-Napoli game was rescheduled because had it not been, there would have been a ton of controversy about how Ronaldo should have been suspended and wasn't. Cranio had a really tough match in goal for Cagliari. There wasn't much that he could do on the first goal. Ronaldo got a great leap and a ton of power on the header. Then he took that boot to the chin. After that, it was Cranio who conceded the penalty to Juve where he was late to tackle Ronaldo. Cranio himself could have been sent off for that tackle as well, but perhaps he wasn't because Ronaldo wasn't sent off. Cranio guessed correctly on the penalty and Ronaldo fired straight at him, but Cranio went just a bit early and the power on the shot was too much for the keeper to handle despite getting a hand on the ball. Likewise, on the third goal, Cranio got a hand on the ball but could not keep it out. Federico Chiesa got an assist on that goal. Once again, he had an excellent game for Juve on the left wing. After going ahead, Juve looked particularly dangerous on the counterattack, and with Keza's pace, he's always a big part of that. Cagliari looked much better in the second half, though I think that was in part because Juve were content to sit back. 
Nonetheless, they showed more quality in the final third and a desire to get back in the game. Razvan Marin came close to pulling one back in the 57th minute, but Wojtek Szczesny made an excellent save to keep it out. Only minutes later though, Cagliari got a well-deserved goal. Giovanni Simeone scored his sixth on the season. Unfortunately, that was the only goal that Cagliari would score in this match. Ronaldo nearly scored a fourth on the final kick of the match, but Cranio made an excellent save. However, with that tripleta, Ronaldo is now four goals clear of Romelu Lukaku in the race for Capocannoniere. Moving on, Roma were shocked with a 2-0 defeat at the hands of Parma. Valentin Mihaila and Hernani scored the goals for Parma. Edin Dzeko made his first league start in two months. His last start was in the Rome Derby in mid-January. Andrea Tarotti was on the Parma bench for this one. Roberto De Bersa was suspended for two games for, quote, seriously offensive expressions addressed at the match officials, for which he later apologized. De Bersa went with an interesting front three. The two youngsters, Dennis Mann and Valentin Mihaila, flanked Graziano Pelle, who made his first start in a Parma shirt. That combination paid off. The Roma are tied with Lazio for most goals in the opening quarter of a match. It was Parma who scored in the ninth minute, and it was the two young wingers who linked up on the play. The move started with an excellent ball over the top from Jordan Osorio. Man took one touch to control the ball on the right wing before swinging in a cross into the area. No one picked up the late run of Mihaila, and the 21-year-old fired low and hard to beat Paul Lopez between the legs. Roma had most of the ball for the balance of the half, but never really threatened. Luigi Seppi's only save in the first half was on a Lorenzo Pellegrini direct free kick that went around the wall but didn't really trouble the keeper. Stefan El Sharawi, who was making his first league start since returning to Roma, had a number of shot attempts but none of them were anywhere near the target. Parma nearly scored again in the opening minutes of the second half after a beautiful interplay between Giuseppe Pezzella, Graziano Pelle, and Mihaila, but Paolo Lopez made an excellent save on Mihaila to keep the deficit at 1. Parma did get their second shortly thereafter. Roger Ibanez fouled Pelle in the area. I thought the penalty decision was a little bit soft, but we've seen these soft penalties fairly regularly this season. Yuri Kuchka is Parma's designated penalty taker, but he was suspended for this match. Hernani stepped up in his place and calmly rolled his shot into the bottom corner, with Paolo Lopez diving the other way. Just like in the first half, Roma had all of the ball but rarely created any meaningful chances. Al Shirawi came close in the 51st minute after Edin Dzeko dragged three defenders with him before laying the ball off. Al Shirawi's shot took a slight deflection and just missed the far post. Roma didn't really test Luigi Seppa until the 78th minute when Carlos Perez fired on target. Despite battling through the sunlight all half, Seppa made the save. Perez was one of a number of changes Paolo Fonseca made in an attempt to get back into this match. One of those changes was American youngster Brian Reynolds, who made his Serie A debut in the 60th minute. Unfortunately for Romanisti, none of them were able to score. I have to admit, I was surprised Roma didn't score at least one. Parma had blown leads in three of their previous four matches. They were up 2-0 over Udinese and ended up drawing that match 2-2. The same thing happened against Spezia the following match, and in their last match, they blew a 3-2 lead to Fiorentina in the 95th minute. But full credit to Parma, they defended really well in this match, and they fully deserved the three points. Atalanta and Lazio played their matches on Friday ahead of their respective Champions League fixtures. Atalanta played Spezia in a match that had the potential for an upset, but in the end, 
Atalanta got another comfortable victory. Atalanta won 3-1 on goals from Mario Pazalic and Luis Muriel, while Roberto Piccoli scored the long goal for Spezia. The first half was fairly competitive. Atalanta dominated in the opening 10 minutes, and then Spezia settled down and were actually the better team for the balance of the first half. Spezia did a great job of breaking Atalanta's rhythm. Each side had one clear-cut chance in the half, Atalanta's came in the 18th minute when Jorwin Zot got caught out of his goal. Josip Ilicic had an empty target to aim at from the top of the box, but somehow Martin Ehrlich got ahead on the ball to keep it out. That was only Zot's second start since returning from a groin injury that he suffered on match day 2. Spezia's chance came around the half hour mark. Napolitan forward Daniele Verde played a gorgeous through ball to Matteo Ricci in the area. Ricci hit the ball first time toward the near post, but Marco Sportiello got down and made an excellent save. This match was very similar to Atalanta's match against Crotone. Even though the match seemed like it was going to be competitive, it did not take much for Atalanta to blow the game open. Just like the Crotone match, Atalanta scored two quick goals early in the second half, and the match was pretty much over. Pazalic scored the first after Mbala and Zola conceded possession to Remo Freuler in the middle of the pitch. A couple of 1-2s later, Pazalic found himself with the ball at his feet around the penalty spot, and he put away his fourth of the season. Luis Muriel doubled Atalanta's lead less than two minutes later with a gorgeous bending shot from the top of the box. That was a beautiful strike from the Colombian and a very difficult technique to pull off, yet he made it look all too easy. Spezia seemed to run out of energy in the second half before Pazalic scored his second in the 73rd minute. Once again, Spezia's backline was just far too easy to break down. Spezia did manage to score a late consolation goal. Piccoli scored shortly after coming on as a substitute. He grew up in Bergamo, so he did not celebrate the goal. So Atalanta got a nice little boost ahead of their Champions League match against Real Madrid. They could be without Barat Jim City for that match though. He was taken out early in the second half with what appeared to be a muscle injury. Lazio played Crotone on Friday. If you're wondering why this match was played so early on Friday, Patrick Kendrick, who we interviewed recently, pointed out on the broadcast that the Olimpico was set to host the Italy-Wales Six Nations rugby match on Saturday. The Olimpico also hosted Roma's Europa League match against Shakhtar on Thursday, so that pitch is going to be in rough shape. Michele Tardioli was on the Crotone bench for this match while Cersei Cosmi served his one-match suspension for blasphemy. Meanwhile, despite having to play Bayern Munich midweek, Simone Inzaghi started his best 11 against the club at the very bottom of the table in Serie A. Lazio obviously have a massive hill to climb in the Champions League after losing the first leg to Bayern Munich 4-1, so it appears Inzaghi is back to prioritizing Serie A over Europe. Even still, this was not an easy match for Lazio. In the end, they got a 3-2 win on goals from Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, Luis Alberto, and Felipe Caicedo. Meanwhile, Simi scored a brace for Crotone. Chiro Immobile continues to struggle to find the back of the goal after a torrid start to the season, scoring 14 goals in 19 Serie A appearances. He has failed to score in his last five. His best chance in this match came in the ninth minute. Luis Alberto played him a gorgeous ball over the top. Immobile was 1v1 with Crotone keeper Alex Cordaz, but instead of taking the shot, he cut to his left foot, which reduced the shooting angle, and ultimately his left-footed shot was stopped. To me, that slight bit of indecision is a clear indication that Immobile's confidence is down. A confident striker would have taken the initial shot without thinking. 
With Immobile struggling, Lazio's other regular goal scorers have had to step up, and they did again in this match. Milinkovic-Savic opened the scoring in the 14th minute. This was another well-worked goal by Lazio that ended up with Stefan Radu playing a gorgeous ball to Milinkovic-Savic at the back post. The Serbian side-footed his volley across the face of the goal to score his 6th goal of the campaign. That was a very difficult play to make, and Milinkovic-Savic made it look remarkably easy. Lazio dominated the first half hour of the match, Crotone could hardly get the ball into the Lazio half and then out of nowhere, Simi scored the equalizer. The Nigerian did really well to step away from the challenge of Francesco Acerbi at the edge of the area and then fired with the outside of his boot into the bottom corner. Pepe Reina was caught a little bit on his heels perhaps because he wasn't expecting that shot. Lazio's other regular goal scorer, Luis Alberto, put Lazio back ahead 5 minutes before the break. Immobile did get the assist on that goal even though it was probably not intentional. It looked like Immobile was just trying to control the pass and his heavy touch ended up being the perfect layoff for Alberto at the top of the box, which is exactly where the Spaniard likes to shoot from. Again, it was Radu who played that initial pass. He was often looking to play that in-swinging ball from the left side, so I wonder if Inzaghi saw something in the tape when he was preparing for this match. Crotone did not go down without a fight though. Five minutes into the second half, Crotone broke on a counter-attack after a Lazio corner kick. Simi squared for Junior Macias, who was clearly fouled by Mohamed Faraz in the area. Simi stepped up and converted the penalty, scoring his fifth goal from the penalty spot and his twelfth goal of the season. With that goal, Simi became the first Nigerian player to score 12 goals in a single Serie A campaign. I think most Napoli fans would have expected Victor Osman to hold that record, not Simi, but that won't be possible with everything he's been through this season. We'll just have to wait until next season. The rest of the match was pretty much wave after wave of Lazio attack. In the 75th minute, Alberto and Milinkovic-Savic nearly did it again. Alberto played the ball into the area, and Milinkovic-Savic had an open header that he should have scored, but he missed the far post. Milinkovic-Savic came close again in the 79th minute on an identical setup from Alberto. This time he directed the shot on target with his right boot, but Cordaz made the save. Crotone had a chance of their own at the other end, but Pepe Reina made a massive save on Andrea Rispoli, who broke free on the right side of the box. In between those chances, Inzaghi replaced Immobile with Vedat Murici and Yaukin Correa with Felipe Caicedo, and sure enough, Caicedo scored yet another important goal for Lazio. He actually blocked Gonzalo Escalante's speculative effort that was not likely to find the back of the goal, and then picked the top corner with his second touch. That was Caicedo's 7th goal of the season, so he's another player that has picked up the slack while Immobile has struggled. They left it late, but in the end, Lazio walked away with a surprisingly difficult victory over last place Crotone. Finally, Inter defeated Torino 2-1 on goals from Romelo Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez. Torino's lone goal was scored by Antonio Sanabria. Once again, Antonio Conte was absent from the Inter bench. This time, he was suspended for yellow card accumulation. Torino came into this game 42 points behind Inter, but surprisingly, they made a match of it. Inter dominated play in the opening half hour, but Torino lined up in a 5-4-1 and packed players in their third, making it very difficult for Inter to create any clear-cut goal-scoring chances. Meanwhile, Torino could barely get out of their own half, yet they came close to scoring in the 29th minute. Antonio Sanabria did well to intercept the ball and earn a free kick on the left wing. Sanabria was making his first start for Torino since he joined Torino on loan from Real Betis. His debut was delayed because he tested positive for covid 
Not long after the transfer, Simone Verdi played an outswinging cross to the far post where Lianco was wide open after Simone Bastoni fell on the play. Lianco was staring at a wide open goal but somehow managed to head the ball straight into the upright. Verdi was actually pretty good for Torino in this match. He made a decent run a few minutes later and bent his shot toward the near post, but Handanovic was there to make the save. Verdi and Sanabria were both starting with Andrea Bellotti on the bench after missing the Crotone match due to COVID. Torino were also playing without Wilfried Single and Thomas Rincon who was suspended for this match. The second half started very similarly to how the first half ended, so Christian Stellini brought in Christian Eriksen and Ashley Young off the bench. For Ashley Young, it was the first match that he's played more than 7 minutes since late January. They seemed to make an immediate impact. Eriksen in particular was involved in the build-up to the penalty awarded to Inter in the 61st minute. There was no doubt about that decision. Armando Izzo went straight through the legs of Lautaro in the area. Lukaku, who had an unusually quiet match, largely because of a lack of service, stepped up and converted the penalty. Moments later, Inter nearly doubled their lead, but Salvatore Sirigu made an important save on Ashraf Hakimi's shot to keep the deficit at 1. Davide Nicola responded by bringing in Simone Zaza and Christian Ansaldi, and they were involved in the build-up to Torino's equalizer. Ansaldi played a cross intended for Zaza at the back post, but Ashley Young hit the ball out for a corner. Rolando Mandragora played in the cross and after a mad scramble in the area, Sanabria scored his second in as many matches. VAR reviewed the play and I thought for sure this goal was going to be chalked off. It looked to me like Lianco fouled Bastoni on the play and if that wasn't a foul, I thought for sure both Sanabria and Zaza pushed Milan Skriniar over, but somehow the goal stood. For a good while, it looked like this match was going to finish in a 1-1 draw, but in the 85th minute, Lautaro snatched a late winner. Another substitute, Alexis Sanchez, played in the cross and Lautaro scored an absolutely world-class header. He managed to get in between Armando Izzo and Mergen Voivoda, and somehow, with his momentum carrying him backwards, Lautaro managed to head the ball just inside the far post. Stellini subsequently made his final changes bringing in Matteo Darmian and Matthias Vecino to close out the match. For Vecino, it was his first appearance since he injured his knee last season. They got the job done, holding off a Torino side who again dropped points on a late game winner and who remained winless at home. I hate to say it because I know how much history Torino have, but if you have not won a single game at home this deep into the season, then you probably deserve to be relegated. Meanwhile, Inter now have a 9 point lead over Milan in 2nd place. They still have some big matches to play but the way they are playing it does not seem like anyone will be able to stop them. Juve look like the favorites to finish in 2nd place now that they are only playing one game a week. They're 1 point behind Milan but they do still have that game in hand against us. Things seem to be unraveling at Milan, the injuries continue to mount and after that Milan game we saw that the frustration of not getting results may just be getting to these Milan players. Gigio Donnarumma was visibly upset after the match, in fact his much smaller Napolitan friend Lorenzo Insigne had to hold him back. Antti Rebic has been suspended for two matches for the comments he made to Fabrizio Pasqua at the end of that match, which was a completely idiotic thing to do, especially when you consider Milan's injuries at striker and with Rafael Leao really struggling to score, and Teo Hernandez may get a suspension for an Instagram post of Pasqua with a bunch of throwing up emojis. He quickly took it down but not before receipts were taken on social media. So at the rate that they're going, Milan could easily slip into the battle for the top four 
At the moment, they're only 4 points clear of Atalanta on 52 points and 6 points clear of Napoli and Roma on 50 points. Lazio round out the Sette Sorelle on 46 points, but they too have a game in hand against a very poor Torino side. If they win that game, which like I said may not be played for a while, Lazio would be only 1 point behind us, so they're very much in the mix as well. So that will do it for this episode, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5 star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. We'll be back later in the week to preview the big match on Sunday against Roma, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network.